everyone, and welcome to another episode of Capital Conversations. I'm Mike Colopy. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Boutwell of Veracity Capital. Today's discussion is going to be about moving your portfolio and investments to cash or moving it to something safer since interest rates are so much higher now. And it seems like there's kind of a free lunch, and that's money market, T-bills, CDs, right? We see these 5% rates. They're really attractive. So, Kevin, today we're going to break down some of these discussions and questions we've been getting from investors about selling stocks, selling their riskier investments, moving it to these very short-term, lower risk. I'll put that in air quotes, lower risk sort of investments uh, for that that free lunch of you know about 5%. Thanks, Mike. It's such an interesting topic right now and very valid question we're getting from clients and other people all around, which is, why would I take market risk? Why do I need to let my portfolio move around if I can just go to cash, money market funds, cash equivalents, and make five, five and a half percent? And really, the there's, there's several reasons, but one of the big ones is you know the reinvestment risk. And what that means is, these money market funds or cash are paying high rates right now because the Fed has raised interest rates and they can very quickly lower interest rates. Now, we're not expecting that to happen overnight anytime soon, but it, you know, there's a high probability that rates will come back down at some point and that five, five and a half percent cash won't be there for you. So what it comes down to is, you know, we focus more on a diversified portfolio that's really designed to meet your specific goal. So if your specific goal is, hey, I have a down payment for a a home, for example, in the next 12 months, then cash is definitely the way to go. If your objective is, well, I really just want to make income from my portfolio. Uh, I have X amount of dollars I need to spend each month to keep my lifestyle moving. I want to take it from the portfolio. Cash may work today, but it may not work six months or a year from now. And that's really one of the biggest issues with just moving to cash. Gavin, let's break that down a little bit more. You brought up a great point here, right? We know why interest rates moved higher. The Fed has raised interest rates. Can you just give us a quick econ 101 breakdown? Why does the Fed raise interest rates? Why would the Fed potentially lower interest rates? Why is this 5% in T-bills I'm getting right now? You're saying that may not be there next year or two years from now. Why am I sure? So the, one of the feds main goals is financial stability, uh, our, our financial system uh, stability. And so the way they do that is they want to target a certain level of inflation. Deflation is bad. That's when prices are declining. Uh, they want to, to have a positive inflation somewhere around 2%. In fact, that is their target. And the reason is, is a little bit of inflation is okay. They want to be far enough away from deflation, but they don't want too much inflation. Okay. That can be bad. And so they, as they target this 2% inflation rate, one of the ways uh, if inflation gets higher, it means usually it means the economy is overheating. Uh, There's too much economic activity. uh, There's too much money supply in the system. And the way that they can decrease that is by raising the cost to borrow. 
that that makes mortgages cost more for all of us. It makes businesses have to pay more to borrow money to fund certain projects and different business things. So the Fed raises rates. It's one of their main tools to directly increase interest rates to slow down the economy. And that's why we're in this high rate environment. Um, inflation was at 9% in the summer of 2022. Now it's somewhere in the three and a half to 3.7 range. So it is coming down, but the Fed would not keep rates as high as they are right now should inflation come down to their target. And so that's why I say there's a high probability that at some point in the future, rates come back down. Great notes, Kevin. And so when I'm thinking about this from a bond investment perspective, right? If I'm a bond investor, very attractive to get a higher yield on short-term bonds. You can get a higher yield on a one-year bond than you can a very similar 10-year bond, right? But the way I frame it, the way I'm thinking through it is rates are, are they've, they've moved up significantly. Um, the Fed's probably not going to raise much more, right? We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen, but that's kind of what they're communicating. There may be a few more rate hikes, but it doesn't really seem like there's going to be too many. I, I'm kind of in the camp now where I would rather lock in or buy more of that 10-year bond and, ha- and lock in a higher rate for 10 years instead of locking in uh, an attractive rate for one year, right? So this isn't a recommendation or a, you know, a market timing call. It's just the fact that rates on the short end and the longer end of the yield curve, 10 years that, and out, those rates have also gone up. So this can be an attractive time to really step into what we call duration, right? Step into duration a little bit and maybe lock in a higher return for a longer period of time with these you know, intermediate term sort of bonds. Now, well, yep. I think that that's a good point, but I think, it, you know, and, and I know that you do this in practice is you just want to make sure that that, that jives with your objectives and your, and really your uh, overall investment plan. So, um, and when you said locked in, that's kind of what I mentioned at the beginning where cash, you're not locking it in. You're getting a short-term rate. That's good right now. It yeah. could go away instantly and very quickly. And so, when you buy a bond to Mike's point, and if it's 10 years to maturity, you would effectively have that interest rate as long as it doesn't default the entire time um, that that the bond's uh, alive there until it matures. And so that's what you mean by locking it in. And again, you just want to make sure that that's all part of your overall uh, risk profile and investment plan. Excellent. So um, reinvestment risk, that is, uh, that, that's risk number one. When we think about the next risk, I'll actually share something on the screen. For those of you listening, I'll explain it. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can actually see the chart pulled up. But basically, it's about market timing, right? We invest portfolios to achieve goals. And when you make tactical decisions like moving from stocks to cash based on your gut, based on maybe some economic indicators, that is a component of market timing. And that creates a risk. If you're already on the path to a successful retirement, such as you're already saving enough, you've run a financial plan, you know you're on track to have a successful retirement, reach all your goals, that sort of thing, you don't need to introduce market timing into your portfolio. Even if your gut's maybe telling you it's the right thing to do, it very well likely may not be the right thing to do. What I have up here on the screen 
It's looking at an investor who put $10,000 into the S&P in 1980, and it's showing the growth of that wealth. And of course, this is you know close to 43 years since 1980. $10,000 turns into $1.675 million. So tremendous growth. Obviously, compounding works to your favor over these long time horizons. If that investor missed the top five days in the market, just five days since 1980, they had less than a million dollars, right? So we're, we're, we're introducing that concept of the dangers around market timing. And this chart shows even further, if you miss the top 10 days and so on, there can be a significant decrease in lifetime wealth and accumulation when you're adding, you're introducing this market timing risk to your portfolio, which quite, quite frankly, many people may not even need. Now, Kevin, um, I, I would say this whole concept does fall a bit to market timing. Any any additional insight you want to cover on this? Well, I always like to give examples. So let's think of you know a 70-year-old client that is certainly in retirement. And let's say all they need to live off of is 5% of their portfolio. Let's say that's their expenses that they use or that's expenses that they need and 5% would be just fine. Why not just take their portfolio, go to cash and collect that 5%. We already talked about the reinvestment risk, um, which is one risk is, well, that 5% goes down to two and that's not enough for you to live. So what would happen in that case? You would then have to go back into equities at some level. And that's what Mike is showing here. Typically when, when rates go down, uh, you know, not always, it's not perfectly, there's a probability that equities are actually going to go up. So you've effectively just missed out on that increase in equities. If you're, you're there in cash, maybe even stuck. And again, remember you're not getting 5% anymore. You're getting 2% in this, this scenario. So now you're getting 2% you say, Oh, wait a minute. I want to go back to equities. So now you're chasing it. And now equities got to making this up eight or 10% jump based on rates going down, you've missed out on that. And, you know, this is that evidence that, that we're showing is just missing out on just a few days can be very impactful. And if you're 70, um, your portfolio should already be designed where you do have uh, fixed income for years worth of living expenses anyways, right? What we're talking about is the equity piece to it that you would have had and kept, um, you want to keep it there instead of moving the cash so you can, when the market rebounds, you experience that growth. That growth is, is then going to fund your income in the future years that you then convert to you know lower risk assets like bonds and short-term bonds and things like that. Yeah, that, that's great, Kevin. And I think our long-term thinking and approach is kind of coming through with this conversation, right? And that, that leads us right into the, the next topic. And it's just thinking about time horizon. We've, we've kind of... Um, going over this a few times, I guess, already in this discussion, but we're investing to achieve personal goals, right? We're investing to achieve our goals and our goals generally have some sort of time horizon related to them. You gave an example of buying a house early on, right? Keeping money earmarked for down payment on a home and also the obvious uh, example of saving for retirement. Well, what I have pulled up on the screen here, we're looking at stock returns by year going back to 1950. Very long time horizon. A lot of really nasty markets have happened since 1950. We're just coming out of World War II. 
And when we look at the worst one-year return for stocks, it's down 39%. When we look at the best one-year return, it's up 47%, right? What's the point of this? Why are we talking about this? It just shows how volatile and how unpredictable the stock markets are over the short term. So when we're dealing with these volatile spouts like we had in 2022, major drawdown, and then recovery we had in 2020, right? This this happens. This, this is uh, really factored in when you're stress testing portfolios and you're looking at worst case scenarios. The short time horizon for stocks is just extremely volatile. But when we look out over the long run, and we see this here, Kevin, over 20 years, the lowest 20-year annualized return for stocks is 6%. So pick any 20 years, 1950 to you know, 1970, 1971 to 1991, right? Any 20-year period since 1950, the worst you've had is a 6% per year annualized return on the S&P 500. Um, which, you know, in my opinion is fantastic. The best is 17%. And, you know, what this creates, again, you are taking on a risk if you are not uh, adhering to your portfolio strategy, if you're not maintaining an appropriate amount of equity exposure. Because what this is telling me, Kevin, is it's actually a risk not to own stocks over the long run and to keep, you know, cash under the mattress, so to speak. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I think a lot of people, when it comes to financial planning or, or I should say investments, they they think of risk as only market risk. It's only the risk of being invested in stocks or bonds and the volatility and the, the downside that that can experience. But from a financial planning perspective, there's other risks. There's risks that you don't actually meet your goals. Okay. There's risks that you don't, you're not invested properly to have the growth that, that you need to meet inflation, which is going to be there. I mean, I said that the Fed literally targets 2%. Sometimes it gets higher than that. So you know inflation is going to be there. So your purchasing power is going to decrease. So you need some sort of growth just to keep up with the same level of purchasing power you are today as you will for 20 years from now. So from a financial planning perspective, there is, in our opinion, a risk not to have some level of equities for that growth. Now, what level that is will be completely dependent on your specific goals and the timing of those goals. Yeah, that, that's great, Kevin. And that really drives right into our, our last slide here. And the last topic we'll cover, and that's real returns. We are looking for real returns. Those are the returns after accounting for inflation. Why does this matter so much? Just as you alluded to, keeping up purchasing power, right? Um, we're, we're protecting our standard of living over the course of our lifetime. That's why we invest and take the risk in the first place. We need to maintain that purchasing power. What I've got pulled up here on the screen is different inflationary environments. We have environments where inflation is falling. We have stable inflationary environments, and we have rising inflationary environments. Now, 80% of the time, we are in a falling or stable inflationary environment. Around 20% of the time, you know, increasing, you know, more than we'd like to see. And again, this just highlights how different investments, how different asset classes do in these different inflationary environments. Stocks and bonds do well in falling inflation and stable inflation. They do not do well from a real return standpoint with very fast accelerating inflation. 
that's the type of environment where you see uh, maybe commodities, maybe real estate, things like that do a little bit better as acting as a, a hedge or providing performance during higher inflationary environments. But here we are in a declining, uh, CPI numbers came out again today. We're in a declining inflationary environment. Inflation is stable to coming down right now, which creates a favorable backdrop for stock and bond investments. And again, really drives home the point of why we're trying to build out diversified portfolios and think about goals and not try to do anything too cute, too tactical or timing. So um, I think this is helpful to think in terms of real returns. What are you actually getting after inflation? And I think it paints a, a picture as to why, you know, you never, you never really want to truly give up all your equity exposure. I think, you know, if you, if you look at these and for anybody who's actually looking at this chart, you'll see four or five bars here, commodities, precious metals, metal stocks, energy stocks. We actually look at those two and categorize those as real assets a lot of times and real assets. You can clearly see here, they do well with, with rising inflation. And so um, in a diversified portfolio, having real assets can be beneficial. Um, and this chart kind of explains that. And again, I mean, in stable inflation, real assets do okay. In rising inflation, they do really well. And so again, if you're diversifying the portfolio, uh, that's why you'll, you'll see some people um, allocate to real estate and real assets. Great point, Kevin. And with that, let's, let's wrap it up. You know, we, we really conclude by um, acknowledging, yes, short-term rates are very attractive. And for the right goals, uh, you now have an opportunity where you can generate some sort of return, some some attractive return for your shorter term goals. But really, we're not seeing history provide any guidance. We're actually seeing the opposite as to why you would shift a portfolio and uh, reduce your normal equity allocation because of some of the more emotional things related to the market, recession, inflation, a lot of these headlines we're hearing. It, it really can work against you, especially you know if you're, your timing's off. It can be so tough to get back into the market, right, Kevin? Once you've made a move, you've got to time it twice. You've got to time it back in once things start to improve. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. And we've seen people who make the decision to try to time it. And sometimes they do a decent job the first time, okay? Meaning getting out of the market, going to cash, but where they miss out, and we've shown this on the chart, is when do they get back in? It usually happens before you're able actually to do that. And then we've actually seen it paralyze people as they wait for the next drawdown to happen that could be years away. And it, um, it could lead to just some really poor decision-making when it comes to investing. Great. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you all for joining us today. As a reminder, this is just for educational purposes. This is not financial advice. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, though. We're always happy to uh, talk to our listeners, and we hope you all have a great week. Thank you.